Hello everyone and welcome to the new Double View podcast and today we're going all in. I'm Sid, with me as always is Pete and join us as we look at the pay-per-view that started the wrestling revolution all in 2018. But before we get into that, Pete. Yes. Why isn't the tag team of Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee called Strictly Tag Team? <laughs> so a good point. Um, we should write to them at swerveinourglory.com and tell them to change it. Oh, you think I haven't done that on Twitter? <laughs> 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 right, so today we're looking at All In. Pete, tell us about All In. So All In is not an AEW pay-per-view, but it was kind of the precursor to AEW, a proof of concept, if you will. Um, so it is the tagline to All In, I don't know if you've seen, is the biggest independent wrestling show ever. And it was. Um, it was in Chicago, where all good wrestling shows are, at the Sears Centre Arena, um, on the 1st of September 2018. Doesn't seem that long ago, but it was. It was a fair few years ago now. Uh, live attendance of 11,263. Uh, yeah, making it the biggest independent res- independent wrestling show of all time. Amazing. Um, and like I know I'm getting ahead of ourselves by about three years by asking this question, but I've, it's got to be said. Chicago, 2018, no CM Punk. No, no CM Punk. He was still very much out of wrestling at the time. Um, Nothing had happened to tempt him back in either. Obviously, things changed down the line. But yeah, up until this point, it was still very much he was out of wrestling. Um, All In was kind of just a pay-per-view that um, Cody and the guys were kind of dared to into doing. There was a, a bet, I can't remember who said it online, but someone kind of said Cody the Bucks couldn't sell X number of tickets. I think it was like 10,000 tickets. And he was like, okay, bet taken. Was it a crowdfunded event or did they just put the tickets up for sale as normal? Yeah, tickets just went up for sale as normal. Uh, a lot of the funding for the show uh, was done through Sinclair, I do believe, who at the time owned Ring of Honor. So that's why you've got a lot of Ring of Honor guys all the elite guys at the time were signed to New Japan, so that's why you've got a fair few New Japan guys. So, yeah, I think it was more like um, Cody, a bit of Sinclair funding. They all kind of put some money in and uh, hoped it would work. Cool. Well, you know, we're not going to focus on CM Punk today, uh, but this is the week where he just got his ass handed to him in five minutes by John Moxley. So, interim no more, hey? No, exactly. Yeah, that was, that was something. But we'll get to that at a later date. Yeah, by my estimations... Uh, if you if we're still doing the podcast and you're still listening in three years, should be about then that we'll start discussing that episode. <laughs> Something to look forward to. Put it in your calendars, yeah, uh, so you know you don't miss it. So if you've got anything to say to me about that, make a little note of it now and hold on to it for three years, Pete. <laughs> I will do. Brilliant. Okay, so we're going to go straight in to the first match, which was MJF versus Matt. Cross. I've written Matt Goss from Bros. That would have been better, maybe. That's not that person. Who's Matt Cross, Pete? Matt Cross. He's um, been around a fair bit. He's a bit of a journeyman wrestler. Never really had his time in a huge promotion to sell himself, but very well-respected indie wrestler. He did have a brief cup of coffee in WWE. Uh, not in NXT, not in the main roster or anything like that. It was one of the seasons of Tough Enough. He didn't spill it on Kane, then. 
It, it didn't, no. It, yeah, the season of Tough Enough that was presented by Steve Austin. Um, so one of the later seasons of it. That's got to be a great experience, Tough Enough with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Exactly, yeah. That's not, not a bad guy to have uh, running the show. But yeah, Matt Cross at that point was a well-known indie wrestler. And on that season, I think they wanted someone a bit known in it. Um, he didn't do overly well in that series. Um, because he was kind of a journeyman, even at that point, and knew what he was doing, I think he held back a bit because he didn't want to come across arrogant or I know best. And it kind of backfired on him in the end. And he was uh, eliminated quite early on in the show because he, he didn't really stand out. But yeah, Matt Cross is a, a well-respected indie wrestler who's never really got his due. Did he Did he have his beard in Tough Enough? No, he didn't. He was a very clean-shaven Matt Cross. That's, that, uh, that'll be where he went wrong. That's it. That's, you need your beard. So, Pete, who's MJF? No, we know who MJF <laughs> is. Um, what The amazing thing I felt about MJF here, of course, is uh, he's pretty much fully formed. That's the amazing thing about MJF. I mean, I think he was two, three years into his career at that point, and he, he didn't start with the gimmick he's got now. Uh, his original name was Maxwell Jacob Feinstein, um, and he was a bit of a blue blue eyed baby face to start with in various tag teams and whatnot but he, he very soon found the mjf character that we all know and hate these days um but yeah he's he he's just got it from day one yeah he definitely does i mean he's a little bit smaller but he's yep. he's still in good shape and everything's there including the burberry trunks yes yeah i mean this was as well a point where a lot of people hadn't necessarily seen mjf um, unless you were big into sort of MLW, you probably hadn't seen him. But obviously, Cody, the Bucks, Kenny, they saw something in him and gave him a, a match on this show because he wasn't part of New Japan. He wasn't part of Ring of Honor. So it, like a lot of the other people on this card are. Um, but yeah, they obviously saw something in him and, and got him involved. Yeah, good show. They definitely spotted some talent there. So before we get to the match itself, we have got three commentators for this event. We have got Excalibur. Anyone who watches AEW knows Excalibur. Who was he before AEW? He was Excalibur. Um, he's he wrestled for many many years. Um, I think it was injuries that kind of stopped him. But yeah, he then moved to commentary and he's done a stellar job since. Yeah, really good transition from wrestling to to commentary. And he's kept the mask, which I like as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we we still don't know what he looks like. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. So you've got Don Callis who mm-hmm. is uh, obviously more famous for... Would you say he's more famous for the Jackal or Cyrus? I would probably say Cyrus. Um, the Jackal was a very short space of time and it was never with anyone overly significant in WWF at the time. So, yeah, I think he obviously was more popular for his ECW work. Yeah, that's. I, I would say the same thing as well. I mean, the what was it, the Truth Commission? With the Truth team. Commission, exactly yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, and of course in ECW he played the role, he had a few different roles, but mainly he was kind of the network foil, the yes. uh, antagonist to Paul Heyman's protagonist. Exactly if that. If you will. Which leads me to think, given we all know how ECW failed with networks and the pay-per-view companies not giving Paul Heyman payments he was owed... I mean, there are other reasons, but that's that's the that's the uh, <laughs> the storytelling yeah. event. So, was Cyrus to blame for ECW falling? Did he win in the end? Well, maybe he did. Yeah, <laughs> there's the question. Uh, and of course, the last member of the commentary team is Ian Riccoboni. 
Yes. Is that how you pronounce it? I've got that right? Yeah, I'd say so. That sounds good to me. And he's Ring of Honor. He is, yeah. Ring of Honor play-by-play commentator from around 2014, 2015 to this very day. And I've heard him on Ring of Honor a lot of times, but the thing that I noticed on this pay-per-view that I, I hadn't before, his his voice, when he's commentating, he's got a very slight Mean Gene Oakland timber to his voice. Yeah, I can see that. It's just to the edge of it, but it's there. And there were a couple of times where, uh, yeah, I got a little nostalgia chill just from his voice. It's, uh, <laughs> it's good fun. All right, so let's get into the match then. So we're in, I had to look this up because it looked like a 16-foot wrestling ring to me, but it's actually right. an 18-foot ring. Okay. Okay. Now, people listening will be like, well, who cares about the ring size? I've worked a 20 foot ring. That's what we had mm-hmm. as standard in the BAWA. Um, yep. And that at the time was the biggest wrestling ring in the UK, which was probably our biggest claim to fame as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's 400 square foot, a 20 by 20 foot ring. A 16 by 16 foot ring is 256 square foot. Much, much different arena to wrestling. But also, it really does up the ante. You like everything is a lot more sudden. Everything's a lot yes. more reactive. Um, and actually, having worked the two all those years, I think the smallest ring I did was like fourteen foot. I could barely, if I did a vertical suplex, it was post to post, not right. not not one side of the ring to the other. It was yeah, coast to coast, as they say. Um, so yeah, eighteen foot ring, interesting. E- AEW traditional twenty foot ring, right? Yeah, seems to be. Yeah, um, New Japan, their rings around the same sort of size as well. So a lot of people from uh, New Japan transitioned over to AEW. So it makes sense. Yeah, I think if you have 20 by 20, you look big time. Yes. And I think that's, you know, you, you don't want to be the guys in the small ring. Even if I do think, genuinely, I think it does help matches just to get that extra bit of zing and snappiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. The match itself. What were your impressions, Pete? Watching it back, which I did the other night, it it was kind of a match you expect. As you said earlier, MJF very well formed, even sort of this early on in his career. Um, well trained, trained by Pat Buck and Brian Myers. Uh, Pat Buck now works backstage for AEW as a producer. He also worked for WWE for a short period up until the dirt after WrestleMania this year. Um, and Brian Myers was uh, and still is tag team partner of Matt Cardona there in WWE as Kurt Hawkins and uh, Zack Ryder. Um, both Pat Buck and Brian Myers, the Creator Pro Wrestling Academy, they've produced some names that you'll recognise and we'll talk about it more in future shows because they've trained MJF, they've trained Chris Statlander, um, Alex Reynolds from Dark Order. So a lot of people that are coming up now have come out of Creator Pro, and they always come out very, very well formed. And I think that's from that experience of Brian Myers being in WWE so long. Um, he knows how to, you know, put the the finishing touches to a performer and get him ready for a big stage. Oh, brilliant. So, uh, what? Let's look at my notes here. I've got uh, first superhero landing thirty seconds in. <laughs> yes, they yeah. wasted no time on that. First top rope maneuver, less than a minute and a half in. Boom. Yeah. And that's that's something I've really noticed over the years, how that has changed. Because back in the day, of course, a top rope manoeuvre of any kind was kind of a desperation. It's later in the match, 
You, you, yeah. you know, you're pulling out, you've done everything that you normally do and you're pulling out all the stops. And it's we've done a complete 180 on that in like the last 10, 15 years. Now you get a big top rope manoeuvre in the first 90 seconds of the match and you've got the crowd. Oh, exactly. And I think it's, for this show especially, it was kind of done on purpose. Have these two guys sort of start the main show. Obviously we had a couple of uh, pre pre-matches before the main card started, but having some big, big moves kind of just set it apart from what a lot of people used to see it in WWE. I mean, you've got to remember that was kind of it as far as American wrestling went at the time. Yes, there's Impact and Ring of Honor and things like that, but they weren't big. WWE was the only place in town for a lot of people. So to see a completely different style of match and a match start in a completely different way, I think was, was done very much on purpose. Yeah, I mean, it's controversial to some people, but we can't, we can't just do the same matches every week. We can't do the same matches the other guys are doing. And that was a declaration of intent within the first two minutes of the show. I thought I, I thought that was great. And it's definitely a trend which you can see, like, it's the foundations of AEW. Because that is Yo, a trend that continues to this day. Yes, very much so. So, Matt Cross wins the match. He does. And like looking back, that's just weird, isn't it? Because, like, you, you don't expect it. Because MJF is such a, a big star now. But yeah, at, at the time, Matt Cross was the known talent for a lot of people. And also the face win. So it's a crowd pleaser. Yes. That's a sound opener. Like we always yep. talk about how the the second most important match on the show is the first match. You want your yeah. main event to be your best match, your second best match. Some people say that's an old school way of thinking and every match should be better than the last. That doesn't always work. And there's a reason for that, which I'm actually going to discuss later on in the show because there's a very good example of that coming up. Um, but I thought that was a, a solid way to open the show. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, good solid match. Uh, both guys played their roles well and got the crowd uh, crowd into it. Yeah, for, for sure. 86 out of 100 chainsaws, I get that one. We're going on the chainsaw rating system. No, no. Oh, God, no. We're not We're not a review show. We're not a rating show. We're just chatting about <laughs> wrestling. So I might just pull something different out every time. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Okay. See how it goes. Okay, so after the first match, we have a promo segment. And my God, this is some old school sports presentation. Mm, yeah, very much so. You can tell Cody's got a hand in it, learning from his dad uh, and doing the old school style stuff. And if you're going to go sports presentation, you've got to really talk NWA. And who better to talk NWA than Nick Aldis? Right, exactly. Um, the man's synonymous with the NWA these days. Yeah, he's great. I mean, the uh, NWA Power I watched for only about three months, uh, being the Fairweather fan that I am. But uh, yeah, he's impressive, impressive guy, um, great specimen. Like, that's that's a good match, just on paper. Yeah. Cody Rhodes, Nick Aldis, that's a good match. So that's coming up later. And we we move on from that brilliant, brilliant old school sports presentation and the incredibly long microphone for the backstage promo. I did notice that. <laughs> and we're moving on to the second match of the show, which is the celebrity match. Yes. And I'll, I'll be honest. Like, I think there are some dim recesses in my brain that do sort of remember something about this in 2018. But I had completely forgotten. <laughs> so Chris Daniels... You want him on any wrestling show you can against Steve yep. Enamel. Exactly, of Arrow fame. Green Arrow, thank you very much. Sorry. Yeah, we didn't <laughs> didn't spend 80 years writing Green Arrow comics <laughs> just to have him called Arrow. Thank you very much. <laughs> 
So they, they kept going on about how Stephen Amell was undefeated. Uh, I didn't know if that's just because he hadn't had any matches yet. Because technically, I am undefeated in AEW. That is true. But no, Stephen Amell has wrestled previously. Um, he wrestled um, as part of the Bullet Club uh, versus SCU. Um, and prior to that, um, he actually wrestled for WWE. Uh, he teamed up with uh, Pac, then known as Neville. Uh, against Stardust and King Barrett. Oh, brilliant. Uh, in okay. a tag team match. So, yeah, he's, he's got experience. I'm guessing that was a WrestleMania moment. It wasn't WrestleMania. Blimey. I don't even know what show it was on, you know. Um, I assume it was pay-per-view. Um, but, yeah, it definitely wasn't a mania. I know that much. So, my first thoughts, uh, like, on this match, if you're going to put a TV star against anyone on your roster... Chris Daniels, what a safe pair of hands. Oh, yeah, you're not going to go wrong there. Uh, this is Chris Daniels. Um, he's kind of moved away from his gothic fallen angel persona, although he does still use the, the nickname. He's a big part of SCU at this point, probably at the height of SCU's popularity, uh, kind of this sort of time. SCU, presumably not special crimes unit from Chase HQ. So Cal Uncensored. Okay, so they're from Southern California. They are. And you can't censor them. That's one thing I should have mentioned earlier is, yes, there's a lot of sort of Ring of Honor guys on this. There's a lot of New Japan guys, but a lot of the storylines and a lot of the angles come out of BT being the elite, the YouTube show that the Young Bucks do. And uh, SCU, big, big part of that. That's kind of where they became so popular, going around various towns saying, this is the worst town I've ever been in. That was kind of their catchphrase. Um, but yeah, so a lot of lot of little hints and nods to BT on this show. It did seem to me that there was a lot of background stuff that I didn't necessarily know about, and they didn't always. If I had to criticize the show, they didn't always do a good job of telling me what I needed to know before the match. Yes, I think this show they they expected people who were watching it to go in knowing it. Um, it's obviously clearly not the case, but I think that was their assumption with it. Yeah, I, you know what? I think um, I think AEW is guilty of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like they're not always thinking about bringing in the new viewer. It's they just trust the people watching to know. Yes. Yeah. So we've got Chris Daniels wearing tights with XXV uh, to celebrate twenty five years of his in ring career. Yeah. Um, of course, that's four years ago. So that means next year, Chris Daniels will have been wrestling for thirty years. He will, yeah. Hopefully, he'll still be going. He's he's wrestling a very much reduced schedule these days. Um, but yeah, he's, he's still having matches here and there. And I think if Ring of Honor maybe gets its own show or does more, I think he will probably be a big part of that compared to AEW going forward. And he does look badass right now with the uh, burst blood vessel in his eye. My God. <laughs> yeah, that's horrendous. Yeah. Uh, uh, someone else who needs pointing out, Jerry Lynn as referee. Yes, the whole refing show. The whole refing show, brilliant. You know I love Jerry Lynn. I've always loved Jerry Lynn. I mean, it goes back to the RVD matches, which mm-hmm. were just, at the time, they did break new ground, I think, for North American wrestling. Yeah, I think for a lot of people like us, that's kind of where we first saw Jerry Lynn. Um, in the States, he had a bit more of a, a... People knew about him a bit more. He had a big series of matches with uh, Sean Waltman, one, two, three, kid, lightning, kid, X Pack, and a lot of people sort of saw him there. But yeah, for people like us, it was his ECW where we first saw him. 
Yeah, I've always looked at Jerry Lynn as uh, anyone who rocks out to your opponent's music as they're coming out. <laughs> You're, that's that's a guy I want to hang out with. He seems like a decent guy. Yeah, he's one of those guys as well where you ever listen to podcasts or read things about backstage goings on. No one ever has a bad word to say about Jerry Lynn. He's one of wrestling's few genuine nice guys from the sounds of things. At the time, they were still making Green Arrow or Arrow when this um, when this yes. show aired. How was CW? With uh, with Stephen Amell entering the ring, I, th- I think because his first match was with WWE, you're not going to say no to that because of Huge how exposure. many eyes that gets on you. Yeah. And I think from that, maybe I don't know. I'm guessing, but maybe CW heard he was having another wrestling match and just assumed, oh, it's WWE again. I don't know. Um, but I think a lot of people, especially when you're not a fan, you hear wrestling, that's who you think of. You think of WWE. You don't think there's going to be other promotions and events going on. Um, but yeah, he's, it, like you say, he was in there with a very safe pair of hands. If you're going to convince someone, look, this guy's been doing it for 25 years, hasn't injured anyone, is always very safe, people will speak up for him. So I think if Amel needed to convince the higher-ups at CW, then he probably did did it the right way by having it against Christopher Daniels. Definitely, definitely. And of course, I mentioned CW because uh, they're going to be doing a Babylon 5 reboot next year. Brilliant. We'll all be waiting for that one. So, moving on. First table of the night. <laughs> Within, what yes. was it, about two or three minutes of the match starting? Pull the table yeah. out. The table is out. Great commentary call by Cyrus. I'm always going to call him Cyrus. I'm sorry. Um... <laughs> Chekhov's table. Yes. <laughs> Has there ever been a more accurate name than that? That's brilliant. I'm, I must have, someone must have used that before, but I'm surprised it doesn't get used more often. That's just fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's good call. So there was an amusing bump I noticed uh, quite early into the match. One, it was an apron bump, which again, you want to talk about moves that have become AEW staples. Yeah, that's, that's common. It's, Big, big, powerful moves on the apron. But there was a great moment where uh, <laughs> Amel took... No, it wasn't Amel, sorry. I beg your pardon. Chris Daniels takes a big bump on the apron and just rolls off the apron onto the table. So yes, funny. Yes, so yes, yeah, that was good. But it's done so smoothly as well. That, that's what you expect from Chris Daniels. He's a very crisp and smooth wrestler. And yeah, it's, it was it was odd. It was like a little glitch. If he if he'd taken the move, it would have looked weird. But yeah. because you can you can kayfabe it, he he slipped off the apron and put himself on the table, knowing it was bait. Yes, yeah. Well, yeah. It's just really good storytelling. I really, yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, and then you get Amel doing his uh, dive through said table. Um, obviously, Christopher Daniels rolls out, but yeah, hell of a hell of a bump to take for someone who isn't a wrestler. Um, Standing on that top rope, jumping into the ring can be scary enough at times. But yeah, doing it to the outside through a table. Yeah, that takes some balls. Um, and Ammo obviously has those in spades. And clean hit. Such a clean hit. I mean, he, yeah, he, he yeah. couldn't have hit that table better. But of course, uh, Steve Ammo, his training for Arrow, um, and obviously a passion of his, is um, not just CrossFit, but also parkour. Right, yeah. So... Maybe they should have gotten this Spider-Man rather than arrow, and he could have been Peter Parkour. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, I walked past Stephen Amell in Canada when I was there. <laughs> I remember you saying he's a resident of Toronto, so yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. How famous people have been that we've been near. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we get towards the end of the match, and uh, there was a bit of aggression. Mm-hmm. And Chris Daniels was getting in Jerry Lynn's face, getting Jerry Lynn to the point where he takes his referee shirt off. And yeah. um, and I, I thought that was going to be the direct lead into the end. You you would think from there, just go straight from the ref bump, fast count, you can put your Stephen Amell over, and it doesn't really make Chris Daniels look weak. Yeah. So I'm really surprised that wasn't the end. Mm-hmm. What was the end? Yes. It was Chris Daniels beating him. Um, I want to say it was his Angels Wings, but I might be completely wrong. I only watched it two days ago. Yeah, I mean, I watched it yesterday, so... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Chris McDonald's definitely wins. Yeah, it should have been a fast count. But either way, like, you know, um interesting they didn't put the, the superhero over. Yeah. Uh nearly a twelve minute match as well. Um which again for a, a celebrity match is pretty long. Normally they're uh, very quick. Um but yeah, yeah, very good stuff from uh, from Amel in that one. Yeah, he can definitely hang. He can definitely hang. We're, mm. That's another trend that's continuing, actually. We are getting more and more people who come into wrestling and rather just doing their thing for 15 minutes and 15 million quid, you're getting more and more people coming in and doing a proper wrestling match. Yes. Um, yeah. Of course, WWE most famously has had one of the Pauls. Mm-hmm. Logan or Jake? Logan, Logan Paul is uh, signed to WWE. And from from what I've seen, he looks comfortable in the ring. Uh, he, yeah. he gets it in a way that some career wrestlers, I'm not going to mention, haven't quite got it. And of course, mm. uh, if you don't like it, he's got a really expensive Pokemon card. So, Well, exactly, yeah. You know. Which he will show you when he comes <laughs> out. He uses it as part of his entrance gear. 120 HP, man. Well, that's what you need. What I mean, so, need. so I've heard. I mean, I wouldn't. No. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't. I don't even know what that means, no. but yeah. what? HP. <laughs> Source, innit? <laughs> so, yeah, solid match. Yeah, very good. But not a crowd pleaser. Hmm. Because the heel went over. Weird. That's right, yeah. So, the third match of the night, and again, something that's, that's quite unusual. It's only four years old, but this is the only women's match of the night. Yes, it was, yeah. Like, back then, it might have seemed quite uh, transgressive that you had four good wrestlers in the ring. Mm. Um, yeah. But nowadays, it would be abnormal to only have the one women's match per show. Definitely, yeah. Um, and it was, yeah, like you say, four really good uh, talents in there. One talent who is now one of the biggest... Uh, female wrestlers out there uh, at the time she was again kind of unknown um in dr Britt baker the daughter of isaac yankum yeah and um, exactly yes and and one of the biggest misses of recent years was tessa blanchard yeah um obviously we don't want to get into rumors and things like that um but tessa blanchard there has to be a reason why wwe and aw are not signing her. Um, there's always been reports that she has a bit of an attitude problem. Obviously, we can't say that's for sure because um, we don't work with her or know her. Yeah, never mind. Um, but yeah, th- th- there has to be a reason why the big boys don't touch her. Um, but yeah, at this time she was uh, she was huge. Um, she was actually the only female wrestler to hold Impact's main world championship. Okay. Uh, uh, the what we consider the guys' championship. Yeah, she won that. Um, she never lost it. She, um, it was when COVID hit. She sort of went home and stayed home, and eventually was stripped of the title and hasn't been seen uh, since. 
but yeah, so she was she was a huge name at the time, probably the biggest uh, unsigned name for one of the big boys at the time. And we had uh, Madison Rain. Who's Madison Rain? Do I know her? Should I know her? She would probably recognise her from um, Impact and TNA. She was part of the Beautiful People stable um, for a few years. Uh, she's just recently moved over to AW. Um, she was a big part of Impact for a long time, not only as a on-screen wrestler, but also a producer and storyline writer backstage. But yeah, she's moved over to AEW now as a wrestler. Oh, is she is she the one who came in recently and she's kind of a bit more mature and she's going to kind of be... She, yeah, she had a match with um, Jade, Jade Cargill. Right. For the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right, yeah, you can tell it's her. Um, yeah. Okay. And Chelsea Green, who I don't think I'm familiar with Chelsea, Chelsea Green. I think I would have remembered her because... Wow, she's my kind of crazy. What what a character they've given. Yeah, so she that was a really good character. That was when she was doing the uh, the hot mess uh, character. So Chelsea Green again. She uh, was part of Tough Enough, um, a different season to what Matt Cross was on. Uh, but yeah, she she kind of came up through Tough Enough. Um, did get signed to WWE um, at that point. Then she was released. Um, she went to Impact. Uh, TNA. I can never keep up with what they're called at that at each point, so we'll just call them Impact because that's what they're called now. Yeah, yeah. Um, where she was kind of just a a regular character, and then she did this big wedding angle, which is where she kind of developed this persona that we see in this match. Um, she's now um, she went back to WWE again, released. Um, now she's kind of just doing the indies. Uh, she does work for Impact. Uh, whether she's fully signed, I don't know, but she is married to Matt Cardona, oh, aka okay. Zack Ryder. All the pieces fit. So as well as the four ladies in the match, we had two women join the commentary team. Yes, we did. Uh, Tanelle Dashwood being one of them. She was Emma in uh, WWE. Looks a bit like Jet from Gladiators. Yeah, I can see that. Must not, repeat, must not become an all-night rave. (laughs) Uh, And who was the other lady on commentary? Uh, Mandy Leon, um, who I don't know a massive amount about to be honest um i assume she may have worked for uh ring of honor because they were doing their women of honor sort of women's division at the time um but yeah i i don't know a great amount about uh her unfortunately fair enough so um just before the match starts Britt baker obviously the first one out to the ring and she came mm-hmm. out to adam cole's music yep so yeah it's no secret that those two are a couple I didn't realise it had been quite as long. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they've been together a long time. Um, yeah, Dr. Rick Baker at this point, this is where she was kind of making a name for herself. Um, she had uh, been kind of a part of WWE in one of their May Young Classic tournaments, but she wasn't actually in it. She was one of the sort of backup wrestlers. So if anyone got injured, uh-huh. Rick Baker was there for one of those. Um, and I don't believe she actually had a match as part of the tournament. I think she may have had a tag match on one of the shows. Um, so yeah, she was she was getting known, obviously at around the same sort of time Adam Cole was in NXT. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. So Adam Cole's in NXT, but he's in a relationship with Britt Baker, so she comes out to his old indie music. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Okay, so the match starts. And <laughs> looking at my notes, it's, it's amusing the things that uh, I take notice of. There's an amazing scream from Chelsea Green quite early in the mm-hmm. match. Just yep. like no holding back, just full on, and then she gets put in an armbar, <laughs> and she's uh, she's getting off on that. 
Yeah, well, why not? That's why great. Not? Oh, what, a, what a character. <laughs> mm. Yeah, she doesn't do that character as much these days. Uh, she's more just the, the heel valet type character now. But here and there, she, she'll do it. Uh, I think if she gets booked and someone says, can you do the hot mess character, she'll gladly go that route. Um, what I liked and I thought was excellent contrast to Chelsea Green was Tessa Blanchard, just how hard-hitting she was. Yeah, Tessa's something else. It, it's such a shame that there is something stopping her from signing with a big company because she is so good in the ring. Um, and, it, you know, more people deserve to see her and that sort of talent shouldn't go to waste. But, yeah, not to be, it seems. Mm. So I noticed uh, Chelsea Green cracked out the unprettier a couple of times. Does she have any link to Christian or is it just a fun move no, for not- her character? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, you could, there's there's areas of separation. Um, Matt Cardona, Zack Ryder, um, he was one of the Edge heads with Edge. Um, so there's a link from between them and Christian. Um, I think Cardona and Christian had a, a little feud in the WWE version of ECW. Uh, Matt Cardona will quite happily say he's an ECW original to gain heat on the indies these days. Um, <laughs> so yeah, th- there are links to Christian through... Cardona, but that's about it. Okay, interesting. So there was an excellent crucifix bomb from Madison Rain in the match. Mm. Um, really impressed me because, like, having having been in the ring, it's actually much harder than people might realise to distinguish between a Samoan drop and um, a crucifix pin. Yeah, and, definitely. And then to, to then put in a crucifix bomb where you're hitting a crucifix pin with such force, it's it's becoming not just a roll-up, it's becoming an aggressive, impactful move. Um, yeah, 100%. That was lovely. Really nice. Yeah. Madison Rain's a funny one, because like when she kind of came into TNA and she was part of that beautiful people stable, which was more sort of TNA, and I don't mean total nonstop action, they were kind of that for the audience. And she's, she's become such a, a good, well-established wrestler um over the years and she has held sort of uh, the tna women's championship on more than one occasion uh, but yeah she she knows what she's doing in that ring um she's not just a you know the old diva style wrestler that i think a lot of people expect her to be just because of where she started but yeah really good wrestler is madison ring yeah you could see that in her first couple of aw matches that like is someone who who knows what she's doing because like no offense to jade cargill who is mm. excellent at what she does as long as she stays in her lane like I get the impression you could put Madison Rain in the ring of pretty much everyone, and uh, with with no no script, no plan, and yeah. she could she could put a match together. Whereas like someone like Jade, if something goes wrong and you're off script, the brakes come on. Yeah, she's not there yet. She's still so new to it. Yeah. But I think I think that's one of the big reasons why they have hired Madison Rain in this role of being a wrestler, but also being like an agent for the the ladies backstage. She's a great person. She she has done it all as far as sort of character-wise and and work with a lot of the big names um, over the years. So, yeah, she's a a good get for the company, for sure. So, Tessa Blanchard did a couple of Hammerlock DDTs, leading into Mm -hmm. a bit of a botched finish. Yes, yeah, shame. Uh, And I don't think it was really a botch. It's just it, it looked... It looked like the person got the... I think it was Britt Baker broke it up in time, but she didn't, and she got the pinfall. Mm. And I think it's that's one of those things that, like, in sports, that would happen all the time. 
Yep. Yeah, trying to break it up, you just don't get there in time. But in in wrestling and sports entertainment, are you allowed to say that? When when it's that close, the crowd think, oh, well, that's broken it. Yeah. And it yep. just, it wouldn't have been as noticeable, but it was, the similar sort of thing did happen in the previous match with Amel and Chris Daniels. And I think you can kind of forgive it if, you know, if it happens once in the show, yeah, it happens. Yeah. But but yeah. two slightly whiffy finishes in a row, uh, is it just first night nerves, first night jinx? Who knows? But um, mm. didn't detract from the match. It was still a great match. And yeah, everyone yeah. involved looked amazingly competent. I loved it. Yeah, definitely. It was a good, if you're going to have sort of a four-way match, which aren't easy to do, um, they had a good sort of selection of wrestlers in that um, to, to hold that one together for sure. Yeah, I think the tornado style of four way is is a nice way of keeping the urgency as well because it can end at any time. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so yeah, brilliant. So four out of five pina coladas for that match. Excellent, like that. So we had a bit of championship hype there, talking about the ten pounds of gold. Yes, uh, I believe it's the commentators doing that. Which um, for those on the metric system, that's four point five three five nine two three seven kilo of gold. So, that rolls off the tongue better, doesn't it? Really, that's what I would have written on my belt, but uh, mm, definitely, that's, that's why I'm not allowed to write wrestling anymore. Mm, that's fair. Um, yeah. It did, you know what? It, I hate to say it, it did make me miss WWE packages because they just tell a great story. Yeah, that's that's something that they have just got down, isn't it? So we're into the championship match. Yes, the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. So who is Brandy Rhodes? Before we get to the match. Brandy Rhodes, the wife of Cody Rhodes, um, she came into WWE, I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, but she was part of one of the diva searches, as is the way with a lot of those sort of things, tough enough diva search. Yes, you get a winner who gets all the push, but they also hire a few people um, to go along with it that they think have got a bit of promise, and uh, Brandy Rhodes was one of those. So she got hired, she trained to wrestle, she was um, a ring announcer for most of her WWE career. Um when Cody Rhodes left WWE, she went with him um, and she was his manager wherever he went, uh, whether that was Ring of Honor, New Japan, Impact. She's been uh, by Cody's side ever since. Were they married at this point or was that to come later? I would say they were married at this point. I'm sure they must have said it and I've missed it. but Not 100%. So we get Cody Rhodes coming out first because he is mm-hmm. the challenger. And what an entourage there. DDP. Yep. Tommy Dreamer. Yep. Glacier. Glacier, yeah. Uh, he is uh, Cody Rose, the Nightmare Factory. His school, Glacier, is one of the trainers. Ah, okay. I see, I see. Um, so, of course, DDP. So, he's great. If anyone gets injured in the match, he can fix him on the spot because he is... Oh, exactly. Yeah, good to have around. He is basically yoga Jesus at this point. Yep. Um, and Tommy Dreamer, it's it's a good job that he didn't murder Paul Heyman on that WrestleMania, isn't it? It is. Thankfully, <laughs> that didn't come to be. Uh, yeah, we saw Tommy Dreamer earlier in the night on the pre-show as part of the Battle Royal. Uh, but yeah, he was also part of Cody's entourage. So should I have watched the pre-show? Uh, there were a couple of... It was a Battle Royal and um, another match that I've forgotten. <laughs> Glad I didn't watch them. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Oh, it was the Briscoes versus uh, SCE. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, so a decent match. Both fun. I might have to go back and check that one out, actually. That sounds pretty good. So next out is Nick Aldis wearing the 4.5 kilos of gold. 
Uh, and mm-hmm. he has got an entourage too. Uh, I didn't catch everyone. Um, I caught Davari. Yeah. And of course, I caught Jeff Jarrett. Yes. J E double J double F J A double R A T T. Could you tell me if we're going to have the actual wrestlers guest on the show? So I didn't know if Jeff Jarrett was here. Yes, that's an impersonation you didn't know I could do. Okay, so the entourage is there and Cody Rhodes comes out. Uh, and what's what's Cody Rhodes' history with the Bullet Club? So he was a big part of Bullet Club. Um, when he left uh, WWE, uh, obviously he was wrestling as Stardust, was very unhappy um, about being that character. He wanted to move away from it. WWE were like, nope, we want you being Stardust. So he was like, okay, I'm going to go. Uh, so he left. Um, he famously wrote a list uh, of wrestlers he wanted to wrestle uh, from all different companies. Uh, and he worked his way through that. I think one of the only ones he didn't wrestle from the list was uh, Mike Bennett. Um, but yeah, he wrestled all over the place. He wrestled uh, for Ring of Honor. He wrestled for Impact. But he also went over to Japan. And this is kind of where his time in Japan and his time in Ring of Honor is where he met the Young Bucks uh, and became firm friends with them very, very quickly. Uh, and he was, yeah, he was brought into Bullet Club very quickly. This is kind of the height of Bullet Club as well when you had the Bucks as, as members, when you had Kenny Omega as the leader. This was kind of, if you, if you discount the original incarnation, this was like the big version of the Bullet Club where they became this behemoth of a stable where, you know, Bullet Club t-shirts were being sold in Hot Topic in the States, which is unheard of for, you know, a foreign from Japan wrestling faction to have t-shirts being sold like that they just broke social media in a way that uh i haven't really seen a wrestling faction do uh, I, the only thing i can compare it to is imagine if you had facebook and twitter when dx were about first time yeah that's what it felt like yeah i mean the the bucks were just instrumental in it it was it was them they they just know how to market themselves they've they'll say they learned a lot from colt cabana who was kind of the the guy who you know marketed himself better than anyone that wasn't signed to a big company and they just took that and rolled with it and yeah made it even bigger so i notice uh we have nick elders coming out and he's he's the dealer uh yes that to me that fits in very much with that kind of casino joker thing double or nothing all in all out that seems to fit in line with that kind of Tony Khan AEW uh, branding. Really, really, like it's on point. Um, yeah. And I mean, Nick Nick Aldis is a specimen. Look at the guy. I mean, he makes Cody Rhodes look small. Yeah, Nick Aldis, and again, another funny one who's never really had his time working for a big company. I don't understand that. I mean, he, he to me, he would fit. He would fit in to AEW so well, but but at the same time. They don't need another mouth to feed. No. Oh, completely not. No. <laughs> they have got they have got quite a packed roster right now. But I, ju- I just want to see more from Nick Aldis. I mean, maybe maybe he feels. I presume he's still in NWA. Yeah, he's still a big part of the NWA. I mean, he got his kind of entertainment start in Gladiators. You remember we had that revival of Gladiators oh, he did, didn't in the he? UK. That was him. Yeah. yeah, and then he went to to TNA uh, as Magnus. Um, it was a gladiator gimmick that he started with. Then he moved into the British Invasion faction with Doug Williams. Um, and he did, I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah, he did. He ended up winning the TNA World Championship. Um, 
had that for a while. And yeah, then he went over to the NWA. Cracking. So the match gets going and pretty quickly we we get to a spot outside the ring. Yep. And I, you know what? It's so weird to be watching a show with Excalibur commentating and they go outside the ring and you don't hear... And we're going to stay with the match in picture in picture. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I was just waiting for that. It was really weird. <laughs> uh, a couple of small communications in this match. Um, mm. A very whiffy super kick. Yeah. Which didn't look good. Um, another, I think it was um, like a single leg drop kick, which just didn't, didn't, it was way off the mark. Yeah. Lots of little small miscommunications like that. And to me, with my meager ring experience it looked to me like both of them were sort of trying to control the match yeah no i could see that yeah um i think they're both kind of used to being in that role in their matches so yeah that, that's a, a good observation there it's a weird one isn't it when you've got two guys who are so good at what they do yeah that you end up actually having a bit of a push pull against each other and you you really need to establish before the match like who's leading, who's following. And I think a lot of yeah. the time now where people sit down and they plan out every spot in detail before the match, it it does it does negate the need to have someone in charge and someone following. Yeah, definitely. And I think you get you get much, much tighter matches if you just if you just trust people. I mean look at I mean Stone Cold Steve Austin's fantastic. But when you put him in a match and Bret Hart controls everything, how good is that? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah, you've, you've got to have one of you does have to step back and go. Okay, yeah, this is your your match to lead. Yeah, and it's it's weird, really. I mean, I think you got someone like Cody Rhodes, who's been so instrumental in setting up the show and everything. Mm. You're putting him on fourth, right in the middle of the show. Yep. And you're putting him on against a guy who's bigger than him, who's got the belt, who's quite capable of leading the match on his own. It, it, it's easy for someone like Cody to get a bit maligned, and that's not really fair given what this show is. Yeah, yeah. And I think Cody at this point was very much used to wrestling as a heel, um, and he was clearly the babyface in this match. So that was maybe a bit of a, a culture shock for him, doing something a bit different to what he was used to doing with Bullet Club in, in New Japan and Ring of Honor. Hmm. And I noticed they, they pulled out the, the post-kayfabe spot with... Uh, was it Earl Hebner on this one? Yeah, I think it was. Him doing the call to the back for an injury with the, the crossed hands in the air. Yes, which, yes. Which every smart mark in the world knows means something's legitimately gone wrong. Yeah. Um, so, of course, now it doesn't mean something's gone wrong. It means, <laughs> yeah, it means yeah. this is part of the spot. Yeah. How long does it take Cody Rhodes to cut himself open? <laughs> like, did he yeah. just do it four or five times? or? <laughs> yeah, yeah, goodness knows. Um, but again, something you're not really used to seeing in sort of wrestling at this time was uh, people being cut open. Yeah, yeah. I suppose I, I kind of forget looking back, but this is knee deep in the PG era of WWE, yep. isn't it? So yeah, um, we haven't got Mox cutting himself open every match at this point. <laughs> but there were some great, great big moves in this match. There was a fantastic diamond cutter on uh, on Davari. Which was yeah. just, oh, just absolutely nailed in. There was a lovely top rope sack of shit, as Scott Hall called it, the fall away <laughs> yeah, slam. Yeah. Um, yeah. The second apron bump of the night. Mm-hmm. Which, yep, AEW staples. We're we're definitely laying the groundwork. And of course, then we had the power outage. Yes. And it's so weird to have a power outage and not come back with the House of Black stood in the ring. 
Yeah, it's unexpected, isn't it? You expect <laughs> at least Sabu. Come on, some someone. Yeah, was that just a legit? Just oh, sorry, we've got power power problems. Just teething problems. I don't know. Didn't seem to be part of the match. Yeah, sometimes promoters will do these. All the lights are off. Who's going to show up? Oh, no one. And then they'll do it later on and there will be someone. But we didn't have that. So, yeah, it's, it's hard to know. It could have been a, a legit one. So we had the Kings Lynn, which is uh, Nick Aldis's submission finishing manoeuvre. Mm-hmm. Sort of a long crab. Yeah. Not not quite a single crab. Yes. But not quite a... Not quite a uh, Bret Hart finishing maneuver. God, I've lost this, haven't I? <laughs> a modified Boston craft. Well, everything's crab. A, of course the old, the old JR cover. Everything's a modified Boston. Yeah, crab. what a maneuver! He held that for ages, and uh, I don't think people realise quite how tough that is. Like, yeah. just squatting by yourself for like thirty seconds, forty seconds is is bad enough without holding someone's leg. <laughs> the whole time when you're already blown out for a match so yeah it's it's weird sometimes you do all these big top rope like top rope maneuvers and everyone's like ooh ah and then just like someone holding a submission move in a painful way in the middle of the ring yeah. for a long time yeah, yeah, yeah they're the bits that make me go oh god man like I respect that yeah definitely definitely respect that uh, what I really liked about this match is you had a bit of a face versus face thing for the start. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we both like everyone likes Nick Aldis, everyone likes Cody Rose. You had that nice little sort of heel turn match with the was it an accident or not elbow drop on Brandy. Yeah, that's the best I've seen Brandy Rose utilized. Yeah, ever. Brandy's a funny one. We'll, we'll come into it a lot in the early days of AEW when we we watch those, but she, I don't know. She she's plays such a good heel, but then sometimes she's a face, but then she just can't drop her heel stuff. Yeah, yeah. She's a real funny one, and there's a lot of stop starts with angles with her in AEW, which we'll obviously get to eventually. But yeah, she is a she is a, a funny one. She's she's really good at what she does, but sometimes she just does it at the wrong time. Yeah, it, I, I thought that was a really good little period in the middle of the match that kind of redefined everything, gave you someone to root for, gave you someone to boo against, and mm. there was. They were really building to a big finish. It was a big face filing to the, the finish. And then, like, they kind of cooled off, did a few more moves, and then it was over. Yeah, yeah. It was a bit like that. And it's it's something we always used to say back in the Bauer days was, like, just because you haven't done everything you were going to do, yeah, the crowd don't know that. Exactly, yeah. You don't have to do every move you were going to do. If if the crowd are giving you go home, go home. Yeah, definitely. Just yeah. do it, and they just yeah, they just went a little bit past that, and it was just such a shame. Yeah, um, Pete, you watched this in 2018. You saw this at the time. You're not rewatching it years later, like me. Yeah, yeah. How cool was this show back when you didn't know Cody was going to go back to WWE? <laughs> oh yeah, no, it was it was so cool, and like to see him obviously leave WWE because they were very honest with him that they weren't going to use him how he believed he could be used to to see him win a big world championship. Obviously, yeah, the NWA title's not what it was, but it's still a title his dad held. And to see him win it, you know, that was that was something special. And it elevates the title as well. No one comes out of the Completely. 
Um, yeah, completely. No, fantastic. I, I I was a big fan of the the match. Like I'm not being critical when I say there was miffy super kicks. It's better than doing a Goldberg and kicking someone square in the face. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know, it's just these guys are so good. Yeah. That it's when you do see something a bit whiffy, and you can kind of figure out why it's happening. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they they definitely got it back in line for the end. And like, yeah, it could have finished you a little bit earlier. That's, that's sort of hypercritical. It was a great match, and you could see how happy the crowd were. Yeah, and obviously it meant everything to Cody. Like I say, it's, it, he won the title that his dad held. Um, Cody, not the first second-generation wrestler to hold the NWA World's Heavyweight title, but the first one to hold it whose dad had held it. So, yeah, very cool. And he totally could have... Uh, you could have made a vented with this. Yeah, completely. Yeah. You could, I mean, you could have, like... I think these days people would be tempted to do an event like this and split it to day one or day two. This is this is this is a main event on day one or day two, easily. Completely, yeah, yeah, exactly. And at the time, it it was a big deal because Cody was going for that title that his dad held, and it was like the most exciting the the end of way belt had been in forever, um, since such a long time. So it was it was de- definitely the right move for him to win it. Um, he didn't have the longest run with it, but he held it, and that's what matters. So did he drop it before AEW starts proper? Yes, he dropped it back to Nick Aldis. And where, where, what, what show was that on? I just believe it was a an indie show. I'm not even sure if it was an NWA show. Okay. Uh, it, it wasn't anything big, put it that way. But it got, you know, the belt went back where it belongs. Nick Aldis, yeah. great champion. Cody Rhodes, great moment. Finally fulfilling the legacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely. What was he? He had a little faction in WWE when he first came in. What was that called? Was that Legacy? Legacy, yeah. Legacy. Um, a, few, a few members, but the the main core of it was Randy Orton, Cody Rhodes, and Ted DiBiase Jr. But without the Jr. on the end. Definitely, definitely fulfilled the legacy with this match. But that wasn't the main event. It wasn't. We are only halfway through. Yes. Um, and we've just gone from a technical classic, if you like. We're going from that to a street fight. And my God, was I not prepared for this pre-match package. <laughs> and, and who is prepared for Joey Ryan's package? Well, quite. So a little confusing to me because I've seen the Joey Ryan meme videos on the internet. I've seen like the penis hip toss and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. All very amusing. I, I I have never had a problem with that kind of stuff in wrestling. Uh, yep. I haven't really seen Joey Janela before, and having Joey Ryan, Joey Janela, mm. um, and seeing Adam Page in a light that I have never seen. Yeah, I mean, this was kind of during the time people were starting to take note of a Hangman Page. Um, he was obviously a member of New Japan at the time, member of Bullet Club. Um, I'm not sure if this was before or after the G1 tournament where he just had an amazing run in it. And that's where people went, oh, hang on, this guy's got something. Um, but yeah, all the, the Jerry Ryan hangman stuff all happened in BTE. There was a skit where Hangman Page killed Jerry Ryan. Um, and that is what led up to this. <laughs> just blew my mind watching that because obviously I know Adam Page as like, this guy who is a real contender and is a real champion. Yeah, yeah. And to go from penis feud... To AEW <laughs> champ in four years. <laughs> yeah. Man, yeah. do you know, all I could think of was Bauer was too early. <laughs> yeah, very like, much so. Oh, my God. The stuff, like, all that stuff, all the stuff DDT do, um, like, mm-hmm. oh, 
we we were doing that stuff 20 years ago not as good but we were doing yeah, it yeah. 20 years ago oh yeah, yeah but but you know what they say pete being too early it's the same as being wrong well true yeah damn it so Joey Janela, I don't I don't know much about Joey Janela. Okay, yeah, so Joey Janela, I am a big Joey Janela fan. Um he was one of the very first AW sign-ins and as soon as he had a t-shirt announced I bought it. Um I I he's not the type of wrestler you'd normally associate with me, but there's something about him that I just like. Um he got his name um really being a deathmatch wrestler, um doing very silly things uh, in silly matches, being thrown off roofs and through glass and all that sort of dumb stuff. Is he the guy I saw getting thrown off a roof into a back of a pickup truck full of boxes with light tubes? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so yes, so yes, I've yes, seen yes. that clip. So and yeah. that seems to be the way to get noticed these days is like if you if you can have a five second clip that can become a meme mm. and you don't die in the process. <laughs> There's a really good like mini documentary that I'm sure I watched on YouTube about Joey Janela, and it goes into all that and like his injuries from it and all this sort of stuff. But he's just a genuinely nice guy who I think undersells himself a lot. Mm. Um, and this was kind of the height of his popularity. He had this big sort of cult following at this time. Uh, he was paired up with Penelope Ford at the time, who he was in a relationship with then. Um, they were just a great, great duo. Um, they got signed by AW together. Early days of AW, he was kind of a prominently pushed guy. Um, for one reason or another, it kind of dropped off for him. He left the company earlier this year um, and is now just doing indies again. But um, you might have heard of the spring break pay-per-views that happen once a year around WrestleMania time. That's all kind of Joey Janela's brainchild. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. But yeah, he's he's a he's a great wrestler. Yes, he can do all the deathmatch stuff, all the big bumps, but he's he's a good wrestler too. And I, I like him a lot. I wish he'd done more uh, in his time in AW, but for one reason or another, it didn't happen. But yeah, this was a, a big match for Joey Janela at this point. This was kind of, yes, he had a cult following. People knew him, but this was kind of the first time a lot of people saw him. So um, the match gets going. Mm-hmm. And I notice that there's, uh, again, we have that tendency, the the big high spot right at the beginning of the match to fuel that face fire rather than as a desperation move later on. So that's very on brand. Yeah. Pete, what's the Cracker Barrel about? <laughs> Cracker Barrel. So again, you see this in early AW. Again, it's a BTE thing. Um, they would often go to restaurants after shows and do stuff. And Cracker Barrel was when they they went to a lot, and it just became a little a funny little meme for them. It's like Full Gear, the the AW pay per view. That all came from the fact that on BTE, Hangman Page wasn't wearing his gear right. in backstage skits. And he, they were trying to convince him to go full gear again. And it's just daft <laughs> stuff like that. And they literally did a Donkey Kong spot where they rolled the barrel at him and he had to jump it. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Very, uh, very on brand. Mm. <laughs> nice little Easter egg for the people who've been there watching from the beginning. Exactly. And there was a beautiful pump handle full away slam at one point in the match. It really did. Was yeah. Like, yes. That's my kind of move. Kind of thing Test would have done. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he was always big on the pump handle. He was. So about halfway through the match, we get a double down. And um, I think it's Don Callis says, match reset. <laughs> yeah. That's a bit on the nose, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> Did I you know, mean to say that? Is I know that we're right? post-K-Fabe guy, but at least... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
everything that happened doesn't count. Yeah, don't announce it. And we're starting again. <laughs> uh, another great cutter yeah. in the match. And a great mm-hmm. cutter sell. Some silly spots, but they always seem to count. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a Joey Janela thing. He's so good at that. That he will do these things that in theory are just ridiculous. But you buy it. And it, it means something. Yeah, he's, he does that a lot. It's And you kind of need to do it. If you're going to do it in a match, you've just had a world championship. You're going to bring mm. the crowd. You're keeping the crowd engaged, of course, but the stakes are a bit lower. Yes. So you can do a few of the sillier bits. Everyone's on the same page, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I did, but I didn't realise that Paige had literally murdered someone in the run-up to the match. <laughs> yes, yeah, he had murdered... Joey Ryan. Oh, there was a sloppy power bomb off the stage in this match as well that just made me yeah. cringe. Yeah, 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 I remember it. Yeah, uh, and then the boots returned. The boots that were talking to Adam Page in yes. the pre-match skit. Um, <laughs> the boots returned. Could have done with a little bit more explanation there. Not gonna lie. Mm. Um, mm. It reminded me of the talking penis scene in the Pam and Tommy. Drama yeah, series. Yeah, if you, I, if see you've that. seen that, it was strange. <laughs> there was a lot of penis energy in this in this match. Mm. I tell you, uh, yes. then I threw the table. My God, that was nasty. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah, yeah, that was rough. Um, so Joey Ryan, he came running out, right? Yeah, the yeah, and this the, was the penis druids. I kind of had a feeling something was coming. I kind of. Like the Undertaker nineteen ninety four with the <laughs> rising up through the Titantron. Like yes. I kind of I kinda of, you know, if they had a big Titantron there, could they have done a penis mm. ghost going up to the yeah. heavens? Yeah. But yeah, the the druids <laughs> <laughs> I mean you talk about sticking it to WWE. I know there's uh down the line Cody Rose destroys the Triple H throne. But yeah. druids that are just cocks. Just yeah. penises bobbiting down to the ring. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was kind of the last, the last hurrah for Jerry Ryan as far as being employable went, because he was very much cancelled not long after this. A phalanx of phalluses leading into Joey Ryan's misconduct. <laughs> yeah. What a shame. What a shame. What a yeah, fact yeah. you could do with Joey Ryan, Marty Skull, and, uh, <laughs> and Tessa Blanchard. <laughs> Yes, yeah. Uh, I know the yeah. right referee for that one, but he shall go unmentioned. <laughs> <laughs> for the best. Yeah, yeah, the the, the pride of Bauer there. Um, mm, yeah. Yeah, and honestly, all, one of the things that I took away from this was, yes, some of it was stupid, but honestly, mm-hmm. how was any of it any more stupid than The Undertaker? Right, exactly. It's another thing that was kind of a, this is for you who've watched BT every week and supported us, this this polishes off that story. Yeah, um, good, the, good fun. It's been a huge part of it, yeah. Good fun, right place on the card, and the only yep. match of this type on the show. Yes. Which is yeah. great. I want every match on a wrestling show to be a bit different. And uh, Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and this, this did that for me, so I was, mm-hmm. I was very pleased. Right, on to round six, which was Flip Gordon versus Jay Lethal. Yes. And this is for the Ring of Honor World Championship. Actually, I didn't get if this was a non-title match or not. No, it was it was for the championship. Uh, Flip Gordon won the battle royal earlier in the evening to be the number one contender. Storytelling. He was under a mask though in the battle royal. He was a surprise winner. He was dressed up as Chico El Luchador, <laughs> um, 
and got put through a table by Bully Ray right at the start. Um, at the end, Bully thinks he's won. Flip comes in the ring, demasks. Bully's like, oh my God, it's Flip Gordon. And Flip Gordon wins. Nice. Okay, well, I like I like storytelling like that within a show. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. kind of wish I'd watched that match now. Jay Lethal, of course, sort of doing the Black Machismo gimmick. And he has yeah. genius with him at ringside. He does, yeah. Talk about getting the rub for the gimmick. That'll do it. Genius, of course, is better known as Leaping... Lanny Poffo. Lanny. Lanny? Lanny, that's it. Not Larry. Lanny. Leaping Lanny Poffo. The genius. It'll always be the genius to me. Yep, completely. Yep. And there was a, so quite early into the match, he Jay Lethal becomes the black machismo gimmick. Yeah. And he starts getting ultra possessive of Brandy, who's also at ringside. <laughs> yeah. And I, I at this point I looked and I could see genius just just so happy with what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought. <laughs> Referencing my brother's controlling behaviour and insecurities, <laughs> which ultimately drove his wife into drink drugs and other people, which ultimately resulted in her death. How amusing. <laughs> yes, when you put it that way. It's like, man, it's not funny. It's not funny. <laughs> yeah. She died. Yeah. And then he died, but in less tragic circumstances. Oh, just, I couldn't laugh at that. I, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice to be out the house, though, wasn't it? I mean, well, exactly. I mean, that whole thing with Brandy and Flip, that again, that's a BTE thing. Brandy was good friends with Flip Gordon on BTE. Cody was very friendly to his face, and then behind his back, he absolutely despised him. Very good segments. Again, Flip Gordon, you don't hear too much from these days. He's got very interesting takes on things, put it that way. Okay. So he's been distanced from a lot of people, and that's why you don't really hear a lot from him now. Did he think he was a bit bigger than he was, or...? No, he's just got odd theories about things that go on in the world, put it that way. Yeah, one of my notes here was like Flip Gordon almost seems incidental to the match. Like he he barely seems part of the match. It definitely didn't feel like a championship match. No, I mean at this point this was kind of Flip Gordon again being a a nod to the fans of BTE and that's why he kind of got this uh platform to have a, a big match as such. Um, but yeah, again, not long after he started saying a lot of odd things and people were like, actually, this is not a good look for our companies. So he was distanced. It's just so weird like to play a championship for jokes is one thing, hmm. but to have the match feel like uh, this is the go for a piss match. Yeah, yeah, it's an odd one. Yeah. Because that used to be solely reserved for the Divas. Yes, yeah. That's how you broke stuff up. And it just, it's so weird. The Ring of the Ring of Honor World Championship. Yeah, I mean, this was probably Ring of Honor's poorest period, I guess. Mm. Um, it wasn't what it was in like, the height of the, the Daniel Bryans or Brian Danielson, CM Punks, all that lot. It, it wasn't that anymore. Um, it was, it lost a lot of steam. Um, but still, it's still the Ring of Honor World Championship that has been held by Danielson, Joe, Punk. Loki, you know, all those guys that were huge, huge names. But yeah, to be reduced to kind of this, it is a shame when you see that happen. Yeah, it is. Uh, like when you have to put your talent on someone else's pay-per-view to sell 10,000 seats mm. and you're supposed to be the second biggest alternative. 
Like, yeah. well, the biggest alternative. There's there's the Fed, and there's a huge drop off, and then there's Ring of Honor. It's just, and you're having to go on to someone else's show. But lots of afterbirth from this one did almost make up for the match. Mm-hmm. Match itself, like I said, almost incidental. But then everyone comes out. Bully Ray Dudley. Yep. Bubba Ray Dudley versus Genius. Put that on a poster. Like, that'll sell some tickets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, it, who does the Dudley hate more than intellectuals? <laughs> I thought that was great. <laughs> like, and he proper, proper got in the ring, genius, and, and like stepped up to the man. That was great. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a point where Bubba Ray goes for the table, and I just wrote, table, get the deeb on. Um, mm, I don't know why I wrote yeah. that. I don't know if someone shouted that from the crowd and I heard it. But I liked it. <laughs> yeah, um, why not? Then, like, more after birth, send out Colt Cabana. Yeah. I love Colt Cabana, man. Again, Colt was uh, part of the Battle Royal earlier in the evening. But no match. But uh, yeah, a, a hometown boy, old Colt Cabana. I mean, I love Colt. And is he even still in AEW? I mean, like, I know he's Dark Order. Yep. But is he is he, is he he left? Is, is Punk not one in there? What's... No, he's... It, I, I think, that, reading the dirt sheets again, grain of salt, as always, for these sort of things. But there were rumblings that he was possibly on the chopping block. Um, obviously, there's all the... The heat between him and CM Punk used to be best friends, are no more. Obviously, the powers that be are more on Punk's side of things to keep him sweet. Uh, But a lot of people, from what I read, stood up for uh, Colt Cabana and said, please don't release him. Um, And he's possibly being moved over to to the Ring of Honor side of things, is what the rumour mill's saying at the moment. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, at least he's still there. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't want to see that guy go away because the Fed's not going to pick him up. Let's let's be fair. He's no. I mean, they they had him once before. That I, I think that was that was his window there. Yeah, he's he's great. He deserves better, man. There's 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 a few. There's a short list of wrestlers. Like back in the day, it was probably a longer list, but of wrestlers who you think these guys have got so much more to give, and we're not seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many places people can go now. It's it's unusual to see someone as good as he is not quite being given the stuff to do. Yeah, definitely. I don't. I just don't. I just don't get it. Yeah, he's one of those. I hope if Ring of Honor does get its own show or just does more going forward, that he is a a big part of it because yeah, he deserves it. Definitely, definitely. All right, let's go straight into the seventh match of the night, and this is billed as a triple main event. Um, yes. I'm not sure I agree with that, but we'll come to that later. This is <laughs> Kenny Omega versus Penta L Zero, or as he's known now, Penta. Yeah, uh, he's Pent- been gone by Pentagon Junior. Penta L Zero. Yeah, he's gone through many variations of his name, but yeah, um, he'll always be Pentagon Junior to me. Penta, I know from AEW. He's part of Lucha Bros. Kenny Omega, I know from everything Kenny Omega has done. One thing I don't know about Kenny Omega: what is the cleaner nickname? The cleaner. So that came about. Um, obviously, Bullet Club Guns. Um, a cleaner is someone who, after a hit, will go up and clean up the crime scene. That's where. That name kind of came from when he turned heel and joined Bullet Club. He was the cleaner of Bullet Club. Uh, the Japanese fan, fans didn't really get it. So Kenny was like, sod it. I'll just bring out brooms then. And <laughs> do stuff better, like that. Better. Yeah, yeah. But that that's kind of where it, it came from. And he just changed it because it didn't really work. So basically when, when the trigger man used to go out on a job, you then have Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega, yep. See, I was Bullet Club before it was cool. There you go, yeah. yeah. It, you're Bullet Club for life, so you're, you're in. <laughs> Bullet Club 
pre-life, I think. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there was a couple of bits that came up with Don Callis. It seemed there was a pre-existing relationship there with Kenny Omega. So I looked into that a little bit. Yep. Um, and Kenny Omega's uncle mm-hmm. was the Golden Sheik. Yes. In IWA and AWA. And he trained Don Callis. There you go. Don Callis should get his money back. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but yeah, so yeah, the the relationship between Kenny Omega and Don Callis is a, a real thing. Mm. Um, obviously, we see Callis on AW, and he's aligned with Kenny Omega. Um, Callis also commentated for New Japan for a, a short while on the English announce desk, and was always very pro Kenny and Bullet Club. See, I I still, and this is if anything's going to get me heat, it's going to be this. I'm still not sure if I get Kenny Omega. He's a real funny one, is Kenny Omega. P- people absolutely love him, and I I totally get it. The, the thing with Kenny, he's one of those for me. Like I I don't love him, but I do like him. Mm. But then he's in some of my favourite matches of all time. Like his series with Akada, those were the matches where I went, oh, hang on. He is really good. I mean, if you have a bad match with Akada, something's gone wrong. But he had tremendous matches with Akada. All four of them were just such a good series of matches. Kenny can be a bit over the top with his mannerisms and stuff sometimes. Oh, he's he's very theatrical, isn't he? But it, like, yeah. And I was trying to figure out. It's not quite. It's definitely not wrestling theater. It's not theater theater. It's yeah. The only thing I can say is it's it's video game. Theatric, theatrics. Well, exactly. He, he's a huge, he's a huge gamer. But, but not, not wrestling video game theatrics. Just video games. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, he's like, you, you want to, if you're going to play Kenny Omega, you want two sticks because you need double <laughs> the taunts for Kenny Omega. Yeah, yeah, Everything yeah, completely. between every move, he's got a little taunt which mm-hmm. is going to connect everything up. But it's all yeah. telling the story. Oh yeah, completely. I mean, with Kenny as well, like a few of his over-the-top stuff for a while bugged me, but then you see him in normal life, and he's the same. You're just like, oh no, that's just who he is. Yeah, yeah. That that's just that's just the real guy. Bit of a weird fish, but if you're going to be a weird fish, go to wrestling. Yeah, and in many ways with Kenny, I look at it how you know when I was into wrestling when I was younger, like I was a huge Shawn Michaels fan, still am, and people didn't get him at the time. And I was like, oh, no, no, but it's because it's different. It's not what you're used to seeing. And he, he is he is an eccentric guy. Um, but, yeah, when he's in with someone who is willing to work at the pace that Kenny works, it, he can do some special stuff. I mean, if you haven't seen the Okada matches, then watch shows in order because they're just they're something else. Okay, that's definitely worth a look. I mean, I've got to say my favourite two matches of Kenny Omega's were the two matches he had before he went out on injury. So that was the time limit draw against Brian Danielson. Yep. And dropping the belt to Adam Page. Yeah, yeah. And it's got me thinking that I he's probably going to be one of those guys that as his work rate deteriorates, mm-hmm. he gets better. I think so. Yeah. Because you can go one of two ways. You can you can become Stone Cold Steve Austin. You can't do the technical stuff anymore, but you can still bring it in a way that connects with the fans. Yes. Or you can go the Mark Murrow way, where you can't do all the Johnny B bad stuff. Yeah. You can't be the wild man. So you just become really boring. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think Kenny's got it in him to be boring. I actually, I no, think, he's smart enough. I think as the injuries are building up, he, his style is going to change. It doesn't seem to have yet. He's still going for it on his return matches. But I, yeah, I think the best is yet to come of Kenny, and I think that's going to be 
you know, a lot of people are going to be screaming, no, because you haven't seen this obscure match from this <laughs> obscure thing that no one else has seen. No, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't, yeah, yeah. totally not. But yeah. I am as about as broad a wrestling fan as there can be. And yeah, I, there's, there's something in Kenny that when he becomes more restricted, I think he's going to become better because sometimes in wrestling, less is more. Oh, completely. Yeah, I mean, he he obviously made his big name in New Japan, and it that's a, a totally different beast as far as work rate goes. And I think in it, he's still got that mentality. And like you say, I think as he slows down and he has to slow down a bit, he can realise, I don't have to do the New Japan style all the time. I, I can do other stuff. People like me for who I am. I don't have to kill myself to do it. So yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting times with Kenny Omega going forward. I, I don't think he's got a lot of years left. I think he'd probably be very honest about that. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes over the next couple of years. Definitely. It's the difference between work and work rate. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like Bobby, the yeah. Heenan, Bobby Heenan, he wouldn't be a work rate wrestler, but you put him against Ultimate Warrior, he can work that crowd for yes. 10 minutes solid without a single move being done. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, and Kenny, Kenny, Kenny can do both. I think it's just I don't know mm. if we've seen. I I might skew more towards someone who just likes good work. Yeah, yeah. Than someone who likes a higher work rate. But yeah, there were some great mm-hmm. spots in this match. There were some uh, like lethal looking lung blowers on Kenny. Where I mean, Kenny, yeah, does, yeah. he sells the crap out of stuff. He really does. Oh, he does. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Uh, the package pile driver from Penta onto the apron. Yeah, <laughs> but, but the one that Kenny gave Penta in the ring looks so much worse because, like, you could see yeah, 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 Penta yeah. protected him on the apron. Kenny just fucking drilled him in his head, man. <laughs> yeah. um, but there was a good little flurry, good little flurry, and then I think this, again the first time he went for the one winged angel, the mm. crowd wanted that. He'd, yeah, d- yeah. he'd taken a package brow driver on the apron. He got back in the ring. He'd done the package driver, which is obviously Penta's move. Dropped him, gets him up for his move. Crowd are hot for it. That would have been a beautiful finish. Did go on a little long, you know, because they have to get a few more V-triggers in. Um, yeah. So maybe for me, it maybe just went a little long at the end. Uh-huh. But but come on, it's it's... <laughs> <laughs> That's being a bit mean to say it went too long because the crowd, the crowd were hot for it all the way through. Yeah, they were, they were totally into it. And you've got to remember a lot of these guys um, at the time, especially Kenny, they were working New Japan at that time, which is, especially with the big matches, they are long matches generally. Um, so it's it, they hadn't really got out of that mentality at this point. So it was it was the longer, the longer matches what they're used to doing. Yeah, yeah. But it was definitely the right call for Kenny to win. Both yep. people look great. No one loses anything from that. Um, mm-hmm. We mentioned getting in probably more V-triggers that are necessary, but that's such an over-move these days. What is the origin of the V-trigger? Is this um, being the elites? Is that is that what I've missed? Uh, the, the V-trigger is uh, a special move in Street Fighter 5, I want to say. 4 or 5. Definitely in 5, but it may have been in 4 as well. And Ken is a big Street Fighter player, so he's just not nicked the name from that. And gave it to his his knee. Brilliant. Okay. You know what? He does actually come across a bit like Dan at times. Like, <laughs> yeah. if I, if, yeah. You know, we all want to be Ryu or Ken, but Kenny Omega, maybe you're a little more Dan. Yeah, maybe. But if you can win as Dan, yeah, then you know you're something. something. Right. So yes. second time, second time of the evening, the lights went out, mm-hmm. and nothing happened. 
Yeah. Or so I thought. They made a mark of me. Because <laughs> Jericho has dressed yes. up like Penta, swapped places with him. And as yep. the lights come back on, Kenny thinks Penta's in the ring. But no, no, it's Jericho with the Codebreaker. Yep. Whips his mask off. Crowd shit. They literally just <laughs> shit. Um, and I'm not <laughs> sure why they weren't expecting that. Because this was after, obviously, this was after the, the Kenny Jericho yeah, match, and at the time, I mean, we we talk about the origins of AEW. That Kenny Jericho match was big news. Oh, it was it was massive. I mean, Jericho doing anything for anyone other than WWE was totally unheard of. Uh, but yeah, he he got convinced to do this New Japan thing, and at the point, it was like okay. And he even spoke to Vince about it. it was like okay, I'm only going to do matches in Japan. I'm not going to do anything in America. And Vince like okay, yeah, that's cool. And that's why it was a bit of a shock for him to appear at All In because he had made these big points. I'm, I won't do anything in America because of my loyalty to WWE. And uh, I think as time went on, he realised, hang on, I can, I'm can. i a bit of a, probably more of a draw outside of WWE than I am in it. Yeah, um, it's weird, isn't it? So, I mean, yeah. all, all In was like the gathering, but in many ways, Kenny Omega versus Jericho at New Japan was the bat signal. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that formed AEW, it was it it's not just one thing. You know, that Jericho Kenny match in New Japan was one. The the contracts of the elite coming up was one. Tony Khan one in a former company was one and it all kinda of happened around the same sort of time and it set this, you know, flash paper off and it all just came together beautifully. Um I think if maybe one of those things didn't happen it might not have happened. But yeah, all this stuff happening at the same time was just the perfect storm confluence of events um, yes. and then Jericho amassed and shouts to him I'll see you on the Jericho cruise yes and he <laughs> stops himself because he doesn't shout out the URL <laughs> yeah <laughs> like I think he wanted to but it felt it felt more than anything else on the show this spot as short as it was felt like AEW yeah yeah absolutely did yeah absolutely yeah loved it yeah, it was a good one. So, match eight, we have Marty Skrull. Yep. And Akada, the Rainmaker. We do. But we also have a special guest referee with Tiger Hattori. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know who this chap is. Legendary New Japan referee. Okay. Um, also looked after a lot of the talent as far as getting him to and from venues and things. Uh, since retired, but yeah, um, legendary New Japan ref. We have a backstage promo directly before the match which is lots of people pointing at the very sillily dressed Marty Skull, pointing fingers and accusing him of stuff. The voices weren't the easiest to follow of what they were accusing him of, and we know a lot of people came along and accused him of other things and pointed things at him later. (laughs) Yes, Um, yes. At the time, I kind of thought that segment was a bit... But it actually does pay off in the match, so we have to. Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. get to that in due time. So um, yeah, Marty School. Actually, Marty School. Um, I did a two-day seminar with Marty School. Okay. And Zach Saber Junior. When they were yeah. the, when they were the leaders. Yeah, it was party Marty School. Leaders. Yeah. Um, yeah, both both really nice guys. Um, mm-hmm. Learned a lot from them. This was just before I came back to Bauer, where I had that little small run. Yeah, yeah, and uh, just wanted to get the ring rust off, so I did a two-day seminar with them, and yeah, it was all right. I, I wouldn't uh, learn anything new, but it did. It, they did run us, and it did get the rust off us for sure. No, that's cool. But Marty Skull, I gotta say, like the two-day seminar, he just he just didn't stop playing with his dick. 
Like, I mean, he kept it in his pants. I'm not saying he whipped it out or anything, but just <laughs> every couple of seconds, like, okay. like a nervous tick. I don't know. If he, I don't know. <laughs> man, I don't, maybe, maybe he's got the clap or something. But yeah, just, just doesn't leave that dick alone. And like now, wow. because because I spent those two days with him, and it's just like, well, that's the thing he does. I keep, <laughs> I keep looking for it in the match. <laughs> And it's really weird because there's a couple of times where he kind of takes a bump and there is just a quick adjustment of the, the little eye. Yeah, it's brilliant. So, oh, thank God he's not really on TV now because that's all I'd be looking for now. Yeah, his so that's, that's my experience with, with my scroll. Brilliant. Uh, his entrance gear, man, that is a hat on a hat on a hat on a hat, isn't it? There's a lot going on there, isn't there? Yeah. You know what? I, his gimmick, just it seemed to me... That it would be better put on someone who's like a foot taller, maybe. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It is. It is a, a an odd one. He he never seemed to be able to know when to leave it alone, like his dick. Um, but yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Like you say, it was a bit of a hat on a hat. He's he's always got a little something else going on. <laughs> Definitely does. I I didn't really understand it. I thought his entrance was just so indulgent. Didn't really seem like mm-hmm. the crowd were engaged with it or anything like that. But Akada comes out, Crowder into that. Um, yeah, can't go wrong with Akada. We've seen Akada wrestle live as well, which yeah, we have. Yeah, I'd forgotten about. He looked familiar. So yeah, we saw him at uh, Strong Style Evolved in 2018 in Milton Keynes. Yeah, the Rev Pro New Japan crossover show. Yeah, um, Akada, firmly one of my favourite wrestlers of all time. He's top five for sure. I love him. Well, you're going to have to tell me a bit more about why you like Okada so much in a minute, but I'm just going to say, I did a training seminar with the leaders in Kent. We saw Okada at Milton Keynes, and all this can make me think is, is this the reason why Brit wrestling hasn't ever really broken the mainstream, not since like the 80s? Is it, mm. is it just because of our point of origins and our names? It just Yeah, it doesn't sound great, does it? CM Punk from Chicago. Yeah. You know, Stone Cold Steve Austin from Texas. Mm. And then, you know, Nigel from Hemel Hempstead. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite got the same ring, is it? Doesn't doesn't quite go over. So Pete, tell me about Akada, because like, yeah, we saw him at Strong Style Evolve, but he definitely stood out for me then. Yeah, I mean that was a, a weird time to see Akada as well. Because he'd just lost the championship to Kenny Omega at the time. And that's like two, three months before this show, isn't it? Yes. Um, and Okada, once he lost the title, he kind of did this angle where he'd kind of lost the plot a bit. He dyed his hair red. He started wearing long tights from going from trunks and he'd come out with balloons and weird shit. And it was like, he's he's lost the title and he's lost his mind. Um, and eventually he gets back to the Okada we know and love. But yeah, Okada's just... He's one of those once in a lifetime wrestlers. He's he's so good at the little things, and you know any big match you see a Carter in, it it's going to be something special, no matter who he's in there with. Um, he was very much seen from his early days as a young lion for New Japan as someone who was going to be something special. Whether they knew he was going to be what he turned out to be, um, I don't think they realised he'd be that special. But they definitely had grand designs for him early on. Um, he got sent, uh, like everyone does, when you're a young lion in New Japan, you get sent on an excursion. Generally, it's to the UK, America, or Mexico, um, just to learn different styles, get a different feel for wrestling. But he was sent to the States uh, to TNA when um, 
New Japan had a bit of a partnership with TNA. Uh, he was used terribly. He was <laughs> given a gimmick that looked like Kato from the Green Hornet. Brilliant. Uh, he was Samoa Joe's bodyguard. Why Samoa Joe would need a bodyguard, I don't know. Um, but yeah, obviously TNA didn't know what they had. They weren't necessarily going to put all their eggs in someone who was just there for a short excursion. So I get it. But it was just a very tone-deaf gimmick to give a Japanese wrestler. Yeah, definitely. Um, that was the thing that kind of soured the relationship between New Japan and TNA. Uh, they didn't work together after that, uh, up until very recently, um, as part of the Impact thing. But yeah, it, it ruined any any goodwill that they had. So, so whose decision would that have been? Would that have been shit stains? Oh, sorry. What's that? The, the decision, I've watched too much uh, Jim Cornette because I automatically uh, default to Shitstain for um, oh the old magazine editor who became a writer. Oh, Vince Russo. Is that a Vince Russo idea? Uh, I, I get lost about He had so many stints in TNA when he was there and when he wasn't. I, I don't know who was doing creative at the time. It's a good thing um, to not be an expert in. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Given how strong you are on Okada... Mm-hmm. How did you feel this match went? Like I say, it was this was a strange time for Okada because he wasn't he was still the rainmaker, but he was doing this I've lost my way character. Yeah, yeah. Um so that's why he didn't kind of have the flamboyance that you're used to seeing from Okada and the confidence. And it, it wasn't a real thing, it was purely a, a gimmick he was doing. And it, it he was kind of having a playful time with this match a bit. You'll see at the end when he does the the rainmaker clothesline he he fingers 205 and it the lead up to this match was Okada winding Marty Skrull up for being small yeah, yeah. and saying you should be on 205 live with WWE that was that was the whole thing about it and it used to happen on BT like Okada would walk past him and he'd just do the the fingers the 205 fingers um so yeah it, it's not your standard Okada match um by any means um, but it's still not bad because Carla just doesn't have a bad match. It's, it's just not in his DNA to do that. See, I'm trying to be generous about this match because in many ways it does exactly what the second to last match does. Yes. It slows the pace down. It gives the audience a bit of time to catch their breath and get their voice back because they're going to save their cheers for the final match. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there's nothing wrong with that. You do need that on, on pretty much every show. But when you build something as a triple main event... Yeah, yeah. And you're putting this match between Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, who, let's face it, they're the people who put the bums in the seats. And you've put Cody Rhodes on, what, fourth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just billing this as a triple main event. I just I don't know if that's what soured me on the match. I think that's purely because Okada's in it. Um, he's okay. the biggest name on this show, by far. Um, and he could... You know, people would pay to see Okada walk out to a ring and stand there yeah, and yeah, walk yeah. back. That That's how much people love him okay well that's helping that's that's giving a bit more context to the match for me and that is making a bit more sense like i say it was it was a funny time for a color if, if this was your first time seeing him you'd probably think i don't really understand why he's like the name he is because it was this weird weird time for him um but yeah having a card on your show it doesn't happen often um, abroad. Obviously, it's weird that we've seen him in Milton Keynes because when you think about that, it's like Okada doesn't wrestle everywhere, and when he does, it's a big deal. So the fact we saw him at a gym in Milton Keynes, it's like okay, that's weird. Yeah, ice rink, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's that's why it's an ice rink. Yeah, um, and and it, 
one thing Okada can maybe be a little bit guilty of is when it, it isn't a huge match, he will do his greatest hits in in a match. But his greatest hits are kind of better than anyone else's. Um, but when he's when it's an Okada match and he's there to defend the title or do a big angle where he's he's there's no one can touch him. He's just unbelievable when he's he's got something big to do. Yeah, because for me, like, watching it, uh, like you could definitely see the crowd were less into it than they had been other matches, and that was partly the match itself, mm-hmm. partly intentional. But the umbrella got the biggest pop. Yeah, like by far the biggest pop. This was at a time when Marty Skull was very very popular, and obviously things again with the speaking out movement happened with him that soured everyone on him. Um, but yeah, Marty Skull was never more popular than, than at this point. And it, another thing to look out for, if you go back and watch this match again, there's a guy in the front row in a pink hoodie. Right. And he is tweaking through this match. Like, he is <laughs> rocking back and forth. Uh, when elbows get thrown, he's throwing the elbows as well. Like, his, <laughs> his mouth's constantly chewing and grind, like his teeth are grinding. Look out for him. He's he's kind of... Um, he's on the main, main row as the camera looks at it, towards the okay. right. Okay. Pink hoodie. Yeah, he's he's absolutely into the match. So no matter what else you think, <laughs> like he's he's into it. And of course, we have the Japanese, the big Japanese New Japan trend in this, where you already had the crap kicked out you for twenty five minutes, but you you stand up, you take your defenses down, and you ask to be hit numerous mm-hmm. yes. times. Um, yeah. Popular in the Indies, popular in New Japan, and popular in Rocky. Yes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I gotta admit they do pull me out of the match somewhat, but they kept the crowd engaged and it ended with a clothesline as that's a carder's finisher. The Rainmaker, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, so the crowd were crowd were very happy with this match. For me, way too long. You could have I think you could have cut ten minutes out of this match. And yep. the thing that I noticed at this point, I actually looked at the time of the show right. and realised we've got twelve and a half minutes left. Yes, that was a big thing at the time um, that the show had gone along, so the main event did get cut short. This is the match. No offence to Ricardo, Some offence to school. This is the the match that you could have just cut 10 minutes out. No one would have minded. Yeah, like I say, um, it, it wasn't a huge title defence for anything for Ricardo. He could have gone in, done what people wanted to see, like the tombstone, the drop kicks, the rainmaker, all the, all the stuff he does that people want to see, and he wouldn't have felt shortchanged. Um, just seeing a carder is enough for a lot of people. So yeah, it maybe didn't need to be the length it was. And when we're going straight into the main event now, yes, the ninth match of the night. It's a trios match: Young Bucks, Kota Ibushi versus Bandido, Ray Phoenix, and Ray Mysterio. And you've got twelve and a half minutes to do the entrances. <laughs> Yeah, everyone just comes out together. Um, you got to do the entrances. You got to do the match. You got to do a little bit of show wrap up because you want you want people to be happy. You got you got to do a sign off. Twelve and a half minutes. So Rey Mysterio comes out dressed as Wolverine. He does. Here's a brand new sentence. That man's too short to play Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever said that one before. No, no. Uh, Bandido was the only person this I wasn't familiar with. Okay, so he's wrestled for the likes of DDT uh, in Japan, Crash in Mexico. He is a former Ring of Honor world champion as well. I thought it was Roosh. I, had, I looked it up because he right. very similar. 
Okay, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Little smaller, but moved similarly. Um, mm. But no, no, completely different. <laughs> yeah. But it could be because no one's ever seen what Bandido looks like. So I'm gonna well, there you go, yeah. I'm going to yeah. stick with my theory. Um, Matt Jackson, of course, with the Wolverine sideburns from the Red yep. Stereo costume. Who's your favourite <laughs> fuck, Pete? Come on. Nick or Matt? I'm a Matt fan. I like them both, but yeah, Matt out of the two. He's a, a little bit more sensible. So he's he's a bit more brown, a uh, bit more grounded, maybe. Yeah, I mean he can do the jumpy stuff, not to the likes of Nick Jackson. Nick Jackson's a a beast when it comes to that sort of stuff. But yeah, um, I I prefer Matt. He can be a, he he's probably got more of the psychology side of it down. Uh, they work together beautifully. They obviously brothers, but yeah, they're, they're a tremendous team. I'm still I'm still at that point where I can't quite tell them apart. It's a bit easier now because their hair's a different color. Right. Uh, but I still think that. Matt being the dark-haired one, like Matt Hardy, is a bit that that confuses me. I feel that's too easy, and it should be hard. <laughs> um, you had you had a big triple Hurricane Rana on this show. One guy yes. giving a Hurricane Rana to three guys at the same time. <laughs> Pete, yeah. that's dumb. It's just dumb. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't. I don't want to be that guy who hates flippy stuff. But that's just dumb. Yeah. And then on this week, on like literally on like Dynamite two days ago, we had two double poison runners at the same time. Yes, yes. From Neville and uh oh who was it? Was it in the uh Osprey yes, of the Open? Will Ospreay. Yeah. Will Ospreay did it and his opponent did it to oh it's, I mean it looked it looked great and the crowd popped for it. It's bloody silly. <laughs> but hey ho. Um, and this, this to me, I mean, is this the birth of the trios movement? Not really. Uh, I mean, trios is a, a huge thing in Japan and Mexico. Uh, maybe not so much in the US. Uh, so I could see why you'd think it. Um, yeah, I mean, if if you're going to have 12 minutes, you want people that can go fast. And this match is full of those guys um but yeah yeah trios is becoming a more popular thing in the states now especially with aw doing their trios titles at the minute but yeah it's it's very much a staple in in japan and especially mexico it's it's what they do yeah okay i mean i, I i've never quite clicked with with trios um right and obviously trios tend to go more on tornado rules it's not elimination because mm-hmm. i don't know if you know but like my least favorite format for a match ever is survivor series just, oh really? Okay. I just knowing. It, oh, they just bore me. However, right. really fun to do. Like we yeah. we we booked <laughs> and done them in, uh, in the Bauer shows back in the day. They were actually some of my favourite matches. Um, yeah, definitely. But yeah, just so, I don't know. Maybe it's just a Fed thing. Maybe it's just a WWE. But I've I've not enjoyed the last Survivor series I enjoyed was one where they didn't do it and they did King of the Ring style instead, which was right ninety eight. <laughs> Yeah, deadly game. That's it. Great music. Um, <laughs> so you had the big, the obligatory frog splash and the Eddie champ because we're never going to let that yeah. one go. And I'm all right with that. No. We we should keep that one going as long as people don't start chanting Chris Benoit every time there's a German suplex. Yes, so so that's that'd be that'd ideal be if right. you can avoid that. Yep. Yeah, yes, please. Um, so like, yeah, there was definitely a full match worth of stuff in this, but it was kind of all crammed into eleven minutes. And then there was a pinfall. The match was over. There were no celebrations. We went straight to the credits while the commentator team tried to sign off. <laughs> yes, yeah. Like very rushed. More abrupt than the Sopranos. <laughs> I 
think. What a shame. What I mean, like obviously, yeah, yeah. this is your first show. It's not a network. It is a pay per view, and if you don't get it finished. Mm-hmm. Um, but I literally heard one of the wrestlers probably three or four minutes in the show show saying go home. Right. You can you can hear what, I don't know if it's a ref to a wrestler. I didn't clock which person it was because obviously there's seven bodies in the ring, including the ref. Yeah. yeah but there's yeah. someone saying go home, go home. And it's like that was three <laughs> minutes into the to the match. It's like it's going to be short, but it doesn't. It's not going to yeah. be that short. Uh, but you know, yeah, I guess yeah. they say in show business. Leave people wanting more. Well, true. Like I said earlier, I think if you do need a group of wrestlers to do a quick match and get some impressive stuff in, that that's the group to do it for sure. You know, I know it's billed as the main event, and obviously, I'm mm-hmm. sure there's a lot of stuff on like uh, being the elite, which probably led into this and gave it a lot more context. I almost think this was the one you could have opened with. Yeah, I I think it was the main event because of what it could have been, because you had all these like the best high flyers in the world really in the match it that it was the the match people were looking forward to because of the spectacle of it and because it didn't get the time it, it probably fell flat on that side of things yeah it's a shame it's a real shame it's a great show there were great people in this match i barely remember kota obayushi doing anything yeah again shame because kota's just another one of those special talents uh he's injured at the moment um, ha- having some issues with New Japan, um, wouldn't be surprised to see him join AEW at some point. Obviously, very very close with Kenny Omega as the Golden Lovers uh, tag team, and there's rumours that they were in a relationship together. Whether that's true or not, we do not know. But yeah, they're they're still very close to this day, and uh, yeah, I think we'll see him sooner or later. It's yeah, it's such an interesting one as well. Having Rey Mysterio in the match, and obviously we had Chris Jericho show up at the end of the Kenny Omega match. Like mm. two huge Fed guys, but with very similar careers. Yeah. If you think mm. about the ECW, you think about WCW runs, you think about both of them being marketed as cruiserweights. Obviously, Jericho pushed back against that a bit more. Yeah. And there is that, you, you hear the rumors from time to time that they wanted to put Rey Mysterio in the midget matches. I've never known if that's true. Mm. <laughs> but like both of these guys came in to the industry when it was still dominated by the big men. Yeah. It was on the cusp of change, but come on, we need to break this myth. Bret Hart wasn't a small wrestler. No. Mr. Perfect wasn't a small wrestler. Like these were six, four, six, five big, big dudes. Yeah. And like Jericho and Rey Mysterio, there's, there's not two wrestlers on the planet who have changed wrestling to their will more than those yeah, two. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and definitely. it's, it's yeah. so great to see them reflected in this show. Like, I mean, yeah, Ray's probably past his best, especially now in 2018. It's a bit, bit more of a contentious point maybe, but having them on the show really to me just cemented to come in, to be overlooked by everyone for being too small and just changing the North American wrestling industry, bending it to your will. To the yeah. point that this show does 10,000 sales in 30 minutes. Uh-huh. Sends a crowd home happy on a three-hour pay-per-view, four-hour pay-per-view. Yeah. Which leads to the formation of a whole new company backed by a billionaire. So when you can actually go toe-to-toe with Vince, mm-hmm. but with a little more interest than uh, than Ted Turner. Yeah. What, what more could you ask for than those two guys on this show? Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, yeah, so that was the first time I have ever seen All In. 
Um, really? Okay. Yep. Yep. I did. I, I skipped it at the time. I did. I did do early Dynamite episodes when they first dropped, uh, and clips like the first Sting. But as for the genesis of what would become AEW, mm-hmm. that was the first time I've seen it, and I got to say, I enjoyed it. Yes, it, it was. You could certainly, like you said earlier, there were certain things in it that you could see bled over to to AEW. It was. It was definitely. Can this work? Um, and it, yeah, it certainly did. And I remember watching it at the time; it was so exciting that it happened. I can imagine. Because, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, it, it just it it wasn't a thing that did happen, and it doesn't really happen now. Just this show coming out of nowhere with all these names on it and people that you didn't know at the time, and now you look at it, it's like, well, yeah, I I know MJF, and at the time, not a lot of people did. Um, yeah, so yeah, very cool to see. It's definitely cool to go back and watch it. And it from what you know now to yeah to see it, how it started yeah very interesting and i don't think it will happen again in our lifetime either because obviously AEW yeah, yeah. is established now they own ring yep. of honor they're not doing as much with it as they should it just seems a way of making sure everyone has a belt but if everyone <laughs> has a belt then what does a belt mean yeah like, exactly yeah vince is gone trips uh-huh. is in yeah, and NXT is gonna, I think, return to what it was. It's gonna take time, obviously. But, yeah, but yeah. when when are we gonna get a show like this again? Are we gonna are we gonna get a show, spot show like this again in our lifetime? I don't think we will. Yeah, again, like I said, there were so many things happening that just allowed this to happen, um, and it, it was good that the likes of Ring of Honor and New Japan were working together at this point. Were happy to work together, and they were happy to, you know, basically co co promote a show with their some of their biggest names on it. Definitely a moment in time. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so that was our first episode where we looked at All In 2018. We are going to be back, hopefully, in a week's time, where we're looking at the AE Double or Nothing pay per view, the first AEW pay per view, and also we're going to take a quick look at the uh, AEW announcement, aren't we, Pete? Yes, we are. Yeah, that was that was exciting. I remember watching that at the time and being enthralled and just who's going to come out, who's involved. So yeah, very, very cool. Going to be cool to watch that back. Brilliant. So thank you for tuning in. We know it's a crowded marketplace, uh, but we're hoping we can bring you something new and unique with our interesting chemistry and ancient, ancient love of wrestling. Thank you for listening to the Wrestling Double View podcast, and we'll see you in a week's time.